Well, uh, for those of you who know me, this may come as a bit of a surprise, but I actually, since I'm, since I'm up here singing and doing music uh, most Sundays and Wednesdays, and, you know, I teach and preach at Young Life, I actually have extreme stage fright. <laughs> I have extreme stage fright almost every single time I'm up here. My heart starts pounding, and then I relax. And you know what helped me relax today? Everything that's been said, everything that just happened in worship, that's exactly what I'm talking about today. So, you know, the Lord just, I just feel like he just really just confirmed what I'm going to be preaching about today. So if you could, if you have your Bibles with you, if you could open to Acts chapter 16, and we're going to be reading verses 25 and 26. If you don't have your Bible, you can look at the screen, and uh, it says this, but at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. Suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken and immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's chains were loosed. Now, if you're here on Wednesday night, you know that we've been in, uh, we were in Acts chapter 16 then and Pastor Donovan will be finishing our Bible study on Acts chapter 16 uh, this coming Wednesday. But before, when he had asked me to speak before I knew that Acts 16 was his scripture, uh, I felt compelled to speak on this topic with this particular verse. So I believe God's going to continue to do a great work in here this morning. Do you believe it? Yeah. Let's say a prayer and we'll jump right into it. Jesus, thank you so much for this opportunity we have to dive into your word and to just learn truth, Lord God, about worship, about songs of deliverance. I pray that you would have your way in this house this morning. Have your way in each and every heart and each and every life. In your name we pray. Amen. You can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. So today my sermon title is Songs of Deliverance. And I want to open by asking you guys, does anyone, can I see a show of hands, can anyone remember where they were on February 7th, 2010? Oh, <laughs> Shana remembers. Anybody else? I see Bridget. Bridget remembers. Well, let me, let me jog your memory. Dylan, can, can we see that, that first video? Everyone give it up for the saints. Woo! That was an epic. Tracy Porter's interception was just an epic moment in football history. And not just football history in general, but for the saints, man. We're like the losing team of the century. We're terrible. But that was just like our one sweet moment of redemption. And not only was it a big moment for football, not only was it a big moment for for the Saints and Saints fans, but it was also a huge moment for victims of Hurricane Katrina from New Orleans. If any of you were around at that time, it was kind of like this like emotional projection onto the Saints. Like, like when they win, we win. When they rise, we rise again. It was just this intensely emotional situation. Now, I really don't care about sports in general. You can ask my husband. Literally, uh, one of the last times we went to a baseball game, and this has happened more than once, but one of the last times it happened, again, I fell asleep. In what inning? In the third inning. I fell dead asleep. When did I wake up? Seventh inning. Seventh. And I was asleep again by the eighth inning. And then I woke up again for the fireworks after the, after the game, and then, and then I fell asleep in the car. I am not a huge sports fan, but there are some moments in sports 
that are simply too powerful for even the most disinterested viewer like myself to overlook. And that was one of those moments. And, and I actually have video footage of exactly where I was and what I was doing in that moment. Uh, and a few of you other light pointers may uh, spy yourself in uh, this video. Dylan, you want to? That's me. That's Russell high five and whoever that is. <laughs> and that that was a big deal. Yeah, that was a big deal to us in that moment. We were we were pumped. <laughs> take a note of me leaping for joy on the armchair behind my dad. Uh, take a note of Russell high fiving everyone inside. What you can't see, what you can't see in that video is um, we actually had a family who uh, was from New Orleans. They were, they were always generations and generations from New Orleans. And because of Hurricane Katrina, they had to move to Baton Rouge. And I'm telling you, these are like grown men, big grown manly men, weeping, like, like sobbing like little babies, hugging each other and just like, just like having absolute meltdowns. That was, that was the most emotional reaction in that, move, in that room. They, it was just such an intensely emotional moment. And you know what? That's okay. Because we as humans, we're emotional creatures, right? Even the most unemotional of us, some of you say, I'm just not a very emotional person. I'm just unemotional. And, and you know, that tends to be a lot of guys. Like it's my husband, my husband says that. He's like, wow, you have so much emotion. <laughs> like, but even the most unemotional of us are emotional beings. And you know what? That's fantastic. That's fantastic. Because the word says God experiences emotions, like love, like joy, like anger, wrath, the wrath of God. He experiences all kinds of emotions. It says he gets sad. God's emotional. And the word says that we're created in his image. So raise your hand if you've ever experienced an emotion. Let's just see a show of hands. Yes, every hand up in this house. If you have experienced emotion, that is evidence that heaven's DNA is in your DNA. Our emotions are straight from heaven. And you know what? Since the dawn of creation, since the dawn of creation, we have tried and tried to find ways to express these feelings, feelings and feelings and feelings. We just feel so deeply. And we've looked and we've, we've, we've worked at it. And I would say the overall consensus for a medium to express our emotions has been the arts. Overall, the arts are, are how people express themselves. We've got painting. We've got sculpting. We've got writing. We've got filming. We've got all sorts of things. But arguably the most universal and relatable art form is music and the movement that goes along with it. Woo! I'm not a good dancer. I'm I get my moves from my daddy. And they're not good at all. <laughs> Thanks, Dad. <laughs> Songwriter and worship leader Darlene Check, and if you don't recognize that name, you might recognize, Shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. She wrote that and a plethora of other monumental worship hits. She wrote this, Music is created by God to give voice to the human condition. It's a powerful vehicle of expression for the human heart. 
It communicates the cries, elation, anguish, joys, highs and lows. When mere language is insufficient, music speaks on. Have you ever wondered why we sing and sing so incredibly enthusiastically here at LifePoint? It's because we recognize two things. Number one, we recognize that we were created with these emotions. And because God has been so good to us, we feel a lot of emotions about him, for him, towards him. We feel love for our Heavenly Father. We feel sorrow for our sins. We feel thankfulness for our Savior. We feel anger at injustice. We feel joy in his presence. And we feel compelled to acknowledge these emotions. The second thing we've realized here at LifePoint is that music has always been and still is to this day one of the most powerful mediums of expressing our praise for the life change that comes from learning the truth of God's word and the resulting intensity of our feelings for what that truth has done in our lives. We praise because you don't know like I know what God's done for me. We praise, there's that C.C. Winan song, Alabaster Box. You weren't there the night Jesus found me. You didn't feel what I felt when he wrapped his loving arms around me. And you don't know the cost of the oil in my alabaster box. Y'all, that song gets me. I like throwing it back with the songs that I'm, uh, that I'm calling out today. This drive to acknowledge God's greatness, this drive to acknowledge God's greatness and express the adoration we feel in our hearts, to express that we've given our lives to loving and following Jesus is called praise and worship. It starts in the heart, but it comes out. The music service isn't like praise and worship. Like that's not praise and worship. That's, that's music. It's what's inside of our hearts and that is coming out. That is praise and worship. That overwhelming desire to, to express adoration for our creator. And just like our desire to express our joy at the saints rising from the ashes and crushing the Super Bowl competition led to leaping and weeping and high-fiving on Russell's end and hugging and just losing our minds. So the exponentially more overwhelming desire to praise and worship God, it's why we sing, it's why we dance, it's why we raise our hands, it's why we clap, it's why we shout unto God with a voice of triumph. It's why we express physically on the outside what's on the inside. You don't know, like I know, what God has done for me. It shouldn't come as any surprise to any of us in this room today that in the Bible, a book about God and his love for humanity, the longest book we find is the book of Psalms. That should not be a shocker at all. It's a book of praise and worship. Psalms 150 really uh, sums it up for us, and we've got that up there. It says, Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty firmament. Sorry, guys, I'm blind. I can't see very well. <laughs> Praise him for his mighty acts. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Praise him with the sound of the trumpet. Praise him with the lute and the harp. The harp is the guitar, in case you were wondering. Praise him with the timbrel and dance. Praise him with stringed instruments. The guitar. Piano is technically a stringed instrument. That's my praise right there. 
Praise him with the stringed instruments and flutes. Praise him with the loud cymbals. Aaron, that's all you? Praise him with clashing cymbals. Aaron, that's also you? And that's, that's Seth, and that's a, few other, that's a few other drummers we have in this room. Let everything, everyone say everything. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Let me tell you something. You're everything. You're part of that word everything. Let everything that has breath praise the Lord. Now, in Acts chapter 16, we see just, just, just one of the most incredible case studies of praise and worship in the, in the entire Bible. It's just really unbelievable. So we're going we're gonna to break it down. I know we've been breaking it down in uh, Faith That Shakes on Wednesday nights, but uh, we're going we're gonna to zero in at it kind of from a different angle this morning. So verses 6 through 10 say this. Now, when they had gone through... Phrygia, thanks, Dad, and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Trying to serve God, trying to, you know, worship him with your life, trying to go to these places, and the Holy Spirit says, no, I don't want you to preach the gospel to these people who haven't heard it. Okay, so they move on. After they had come to Mysia, they tried to go to Bithynia, but the Spirit didn't permit them. Once again, trying Trying to live a life of worship, getting the door slammed in their face. But then one night, a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia, which is Europe, stood and pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Now, after he'd seen this vision, immediately we sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. So, again, we learned about it on Wednesday night. Paul tried and failed to go preach the gospel in various locations. Then God sent him a vision to give him more specific direction. This is where I want you to go right now at this certain point in time. Now, Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12 that true worship is to give God free dominion over your entire life. Worship isn't just singing along with the music. That's just a part of worship. Worship is giving God everything, your time, your body, your mind, your soul. Your worship is giving him your entire life. And so here's Paul. He's given God his entire life. Now, if you are here today and you're breathing, you're breathing, you're breathing in, you're breathing out, your life isn't over. Heart's beating in your chest. You're alive. You have a life. You have more life left to give to God. And a life of worship is a continual process of God calling you higher and higher. Now, we live in a fallen world we live in a world where bad things happen. We have a goal to get to heaven where no bad things are going to happen anymore. But we do, we do have points where maybe, maybe we, we lose our way a little bit. We misstep. But the point is to go higher and higher. Give your life to Jesus and strive to go higher and higher. Step out in faith just a little more. Trust him just a little more each and every day. So Paul... Paul was following the call higher and higher and higher. Paul was born into the truth. He was born a Jew. He was brought up in the law. He was actually, by, by, the, by the standards of the law, he was a great follower of the one true God. But then Jesus came onto the scene, and, and he hadn't accepted the truth of Jesus yet, so he was kind of a bad guy for a minute. 
He was a Pharisee. But then he was called to follow Jesus. Then he was called to preach. Then he was called to preach the gospel to Gentiles. And now here we find him once again being called higher to worship God by giving him his life, by giving him his time, and go and preach the gospel to the Europeans. This morning, we're all at different levels spiritually. We've all been at point A, and now we find ourselves at some sort of point B. We've all been somewhere, and God's brought us a certain distance. That distance for you might be you've been filled with the Holy Spirit. You've been baptized. You've repented and turned away from your sin. You are in ministry. You are not in ministry. You, it, it could be a plethora of things. You've done all these things. You've done none of these things. We're all at different levels here today. But let me tell you something. Part of God calling us higher is calling us all to be here this morning. He's gathered us here together to call us once again to a higher level of worship. Higher and higher, heavenward. It's no accident that we're here. And I believe that it's no accident that the Holy Spirit moved so profoundly during the worship set this morning. It's no accident that when Pastor Donovan gave the call for anyone who needed prayer, the Holy Spirit broke out. That wasn't an accident because I'm here and I have this in my notes to declare that I believe LifePoint is in a season where he is challenging us individually first and as a church to go higher in our worship. And I believe that a specific way we can do that as a church is go higher in our musical and physical worship. So Acts chapter 16 continues. We're going to uh, skip to verse 16. So they've, start, they, they've won some people. They've traveled to a few different cities. They've done all this awesome stuff. In verse 16 we see this. Now it happened as we went to prayer that a certain slave girl possessed with a spirit of divination, that's fortune telling, met us who brought her masters much profit by fortune telling. This girl followed Paul and us and cried out saying, these men are servants of the most high God who proclaimed to us the way of salvation. And she did this for many days. And finally Paul just got fed up with it. He got annoyed. See, Bible people are, 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 are real Life humans, just like us, that we can look to. Paul just got fed up with this girl, and he turned to her, and he said to the spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And he came out that very hour. But when her master saw that their hopes of profit were gone, they seized Paul and Silas and dragged them into the marketplace to the authorities. And they brought them to the magistrates and said, These men, being Jews, exceedingly trouble our city. And they teach customs which are not lawful for us, being Romans, to receive or observe. Then the multitude rose up together against them, and the magistrates tore off their clothes and commanded them to be beaten with rods. Like, that sounds like it would literally kill you. That sounds like, if you imagine that, that sounds like the most miserable feeling in the world. And when they had laid many stripes on them, they threw them into prison, commanding the jailer to keep them securely. Having received such a charge, he put them in an inner prison, fastened their feet in stocks. So we know from a, a later verse, they also had their, their hands were shackled as well. Paul and Silas were beaten in rods. Okay, now let me, just, let me just zero in on how uncomfortable this experience was. In Deuteronomy, under Jewish law, Jewish punishments and beatings were only allowed up to 40 lashes. 
And so they had a custom of only doing 39 hits with a rod or a whip because they they wanted to make sure they didn't break the law. Now, the Romans, if any of you can reach deep into the past and remember your history lessons, they didn't have rules like that at all. They were an extremely violent culture. So Paul and Silas were beaten at the discretion of these Roman soldiers whose job it was to conquer nations and kill people and hurt people and then keep the law by force. Uh, it was like, it was, it was not a comfortable you know, lashing by these Roman soldiers by any means. In, in fact, it was probably unbelievably painful. Not only were they beaten to an unknown degree, they were imprisoned with their feet in stocks and their wrists in chains. So uh, I have a picture of uh, two, two dudes in stocks. That's what it looks like when your feet are in stocks. So, so imagine you're sitting there. You've just, had, you've just had your body beaten to a pulp. Probably it was their backs. They probably want to lay down on their stomachs and, you know, like get comfortable and nurse their wounds. And here they are in this awkward position. And the I, I looked at a bunch of different pictures of what it looks like to be in stocks and chains. There's a chance they could not even have been able to lean back. It just was, like, so painful and uncomfortable. Like, this wasn't just, like, oh, they were in jail, and, you know, they got some bread and water, and it was kind of dark and stinky. Like, no, this was, like, all that and excruciating pain and discomfort. Now, with us, we have the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit's in the world. It's, it's, if, it's, if you don't have the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit can fill you up. It's just this amazing thing, but... Despite the fact that we have the Holy Spirit and the power of Jesus to overcome, we still live in a fallen world. People still have issues. You're forgiven, but you still have issues. Once you become a Christian, a believer, once you're filled with the Holy Spirit, that doesn't mean you stop sinning. We all still have issues, and people outside of the church have issues. So naturally, bad things are going to happen to each of us, right? Like, that's just life. That's just life. And we can overcome, and God can be our hope and our refuge, but bad things are going to happen. Sometimes these hurts, this discomfort, this pain, this evil that comes at us, it can become our own personal prison. We find ourselves in a variety of prisons. We find ourselves in prisons of doubt marital problems, job issues, co-worker issues, financial worries, anxiety, depression, prisons of sickness, prisons of family struggles, prisons of guilt and condemnation over past mistakes, prisons of discouragement over unanswered prayers, maybe even just, just you're tired. You're just tired. Life is just a grind, and you're just tired from just the, the routine of doing life, you feel like you've been stuck in the same old, same old. And we're, we're wounded and we're beaten and we find ourselves at a point where we say, yes, God is good. Yes, I love him. And I would worship him if I could just get out of this prison. If I could just be set free from this situation that is hurting me, that is killing me, that is so uncomfortable that I just can't take another day. 
then I would worship. But that's not how it works, guys. That's not how it works. In Matthew 4, we see Jesus himself fasting in the wilderness. The devil comes and he, he tempts him. And he says, I'll give you all the kingdoms, all these kingdoms full of people that you came to die for. That, you know, I rule. I'm like king of sin. And here I am just ruling and reigning over all these kingdoms. You don't have to die. I'll give them to you. You can have them. Take the easy way out. All you have to do is bow down and worship me. But Jesus came back at him with the word, and he said, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. In other words, it doesn't matter how hungry I am. It doesn't matter how tired I am. It doesn't matter how much pain it would save me to avoid going to the cross. The word commands me, even Jesus, the word commands me to worship the one true God even when I don't feel like it. And he refused to bow the knee to Satan. And you know what happened? When he took that stand to the devil himself, it says that when he said, I will only worship God, says the angels came down and ministered to him. You want heaven to come and touch earth? You want to know what it feels like? Does it matter if you're in a prison? Does it matter if you don't feel like worshiping? Worship anyway. The same thing that happened to Jesus in Matthew 4 happened in Acts 16, verse 25. But at midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. They must have been singing with a loud voice like the psalmist wrote because they could be heard through those stone walls. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were open and everyone's chains were loose. Do you want to be free? Stop waiting for your deliverance to worship. Worship and you'll see your deliverance come. If you don't feel worthy of worshiping, if you don't even just feel like worshiping, it doesn't matter. You say, that's easy for you to say. Uh, if, if you've ever watched me during a worship service, I don't really hold still. I am very physical, very exuberant in my worship. And so you might say, oh, that's easy for you to say. You know, like, like you, you, you like to do that. You enjoy that. You're an outgoing personality. You know? The Bible doesn't say outgoing personalities sing with a loud voice. The Bible doesn't say that if you are, uh, you know, very, you're just kind of like a physical person, then, then, you know, worship the Lord with, by raising your hands and dancing. The Bible doesn't give any criteria. It says let everything that has breath praise the Lord. We're all supposed to worship like that. And you know what else? You don't know what God's done for me like I know. You don't know where he's brought me from. You weren't there the night after I had been struggling with depression for nine months and I couldn't feel the presence of God. And I was a youth camp. Send your kids to youth camp, parents. And I was a youth camp. And I finally felt a stir in my spirit during the worship. And I was on my face on that carpet. And God completely healed me from that depression. You weren't there the night I was broken but I determined to worship myself to sleep. And I sang, I surrender all. 
I surrender all, all to thee, my blessed Savior. I surrender all. And you don't know the deliverance that came from me after those moments. You don't know why I dance when I play the keyboard and my friend calls me a bull rider because I wave my hand in the air. You don't know why I do those things because you weren't there the night Jesus found me. If you want out of your prison, you worship your way to deliverance. That's not the end of the story, though. Verse 27, it goes on. There's a, there's, a, there's, a, there's a really, there's an ending to this story. It says this, And the keeper of the prison, awaking from his sleep and seeing the prison doors open, supposing the prisoners had fled, drew his sword and was about to kill himself. Because you know those Romans who beat the fire out of Paul and Silas would have, uh, they would have done the same to one of their own. But Paul called with a loud voice saying, do yourself no harm, for we are all here. Then he called for a light, ran in, and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. And he brought them out and said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. Then they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house, and he took them the same hour of the night and washed their stripes and immediately he and all his family were baptized now when he had brought them into his house he set food before them and he rejoiced having believed in God with his entire household when you worship and when you don't feel like it even when you're waiting for deliverance and it still hasn't come if you worship anyway not only will you be set free, you will, you will see the deliverance of other people. It might be your spouse. It might be your kids. It might be a coworker you've been praying for. It might be people you don't even know. Is your prison desperately hoping for those people to come to church or then worship? Worship. Don't wait for them to start worshiping. You raise your hands first. You jump first. I'm ready. Hey, we, we've, got a, we've got a little dance crew right now in Lifeline. I'm waiting to see it grow. I love when I'm up here and I'm dancing, and I look out and I see other people dancing. But, hey, it needs to grow. We need some people stepping out and saying, I don't care if I'm in a prison. I'm going to worship anyway. I don't care if I'm suffering. I'm going to worship anyway. I don't care if my husband or my wife is standing next to me like a statue. I'm going to praise God anyway. I don't care if my kids aren't going to church. I'm going to praise God anyway. I don't care if it's an awkward service and nobody's really getting it and the spirit doesn't seem to be moving that strong. I'm going to praise God anyway. If the musicians could come and everyone could stand. I experienced that firsthand in one of the most profound ways in my life. Two years ago, uh, some of you helped send my brother and I on a mission trip with Donna Marcelli, who was here for the dedication weekend, um, to Singapore. And uh, that was, that was, bless all of you, that was such an answer to prayer for, for me personally. That was just, I, I don't even have time to describe to you how impactful that trip was on my life. 
But on our last Sunday there, we left on a Monday, our last Sunday there, we went to a church called the Tabernacle of Joy. Now, some of you, if you've been around Pentecost in, in our organization for a while, you might have heard of Steve and Barbara Willoughby. They were not just, your, they were, missionaries are all just, they just blow me away. They're amazing. But this couple, they weren't just your average missionaries. They were apostles to Asia. The, the stories, the revival that literally swept across the entire continent. They didn't even mean to go to Singapore. It was an accident. They accidentally became missionaries to Singapore. That's another story. But they started this church called Tabernacle of Joy in Singapore. And Steve and Barbara had had a revelation about worship. didn't matter how they felt. It didn't matter what was going on in their lives. If they could stand up on their two feet, these two missionaries, you'd see them, you'd see them at the most boring conferences that you could possibly imagine where nobody else was feeling the spirit. And they'd just be running and jumping, singing, big, giant smiles on their faces, praising God. And that spirit of worship fell on all of their disciples in Singapore. All of the believers caught that worship fire. And it's a long story. And it's very heartbreaking and very sad. Some of you know where this is going. Steve and Barb were both in their 40s, 50s, early 50s. And they both, within three years of each other, they both were diagnosed with very extreme forms of cancer. They had children. All of them but one were minors. And... They, they both, they, they prayed and believed for healing, and they both passed away. It was, it was gut-wrenching. It was, it was one of the most heartbreaking situations that, that I've ever, I've ever seen. And, and I figured it had had an impact on the church to lose both of their pastors so tragically, so quickly, so close together, so young. But when we went over there, Donna, she, she warned us. She said, you've heard things about Tabernacle of Joy. It's, it's different. They're broken. They're hurting. They can't push past the pain. I went there about a year and a half to two years after, after Steve had passed away. Steve passed away second. And, 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 they, and Donna said they're still suffering. They haven't. They haven't been able to move past it. And so we went there, and it was one of those, and you guys, most of you know what I'm talking about. You know those awkward services where you're, like, trying to worship, and it's like, wow, you know, like, I, this is awkward. I don't really feel like worshiping right now. Oh, this is weird. And they were all, they all kind of had that vibe, too. Like, they were worshiping, and they're like, eh. <laughs> like it, was, it was just, it was awkward. You guys know what I mean? It was, it was awkward. It was uncomfortable. It was, it was sad. It was so sad. It was so heartbreaking. There was such a spirit of heaviness in that room. And you could see them trying, and they were pushing. And they were, you know, they were dancing. They were in, but it was, it was just so painful. And it, it wasn't really, they weren't really giving it all they had. It was awkward. And, and so 
Donna, pre- we sing a little bit of music. Donna preaches her message. And, and then altar call comes, and she's pushing him and pushing him. You know, sometimes the preacher will go down and just let it flow, and sometimes the preacher will stay up here and kind of push it and, you know, during altar call, and she's, like, pacing back and forth, and she's pushing it because it's, it's kind of not going anywhere. So they start singing a song, and, and you know, everyone kind of starts, you know, you know, like, they're kinda, it's, it's awkward. And I was up there, and I'm dancing, and, you know, I don't have that history. I don't have that hurt. I'm not in that same prison. I'm not in that same prison. I had my own set of issues, but I wasn't in their prison. And so I was like, well, you know, this is super awkward, but I'm just going to worship anyway. I'm going to dance. So I started dancing, and I started worshiping. And I just, like, I just got all into it. I was wearing these huge heels, the biggest heels I've ever owned. I was like, oh, this hurts really bad. And I took my heels off. And I was like, woo, I'm getting into this. And I just, I don't know what came over me. This has never happened before. It hasn't happened again. But I felt the Lord saying, hey, not that you're a great dancer or anything, but why don't you do this dance move? And so I start, I start just doing this funny little dance I've never done before. And I start moving. And I just start going crazy. Like, I was like, woo! Like, I just felt the spirit so strong. And I just start whirling and just, like, going nuts. And Donna walks off the platform, and she grabs me. And she's like, get up on that stage right now. And so, so I was like, okay. She's like, get up there and dance. Dance. And she got up there. And she stood me up there. She's like, play that music again. I want you to watch her. So I started doing the same dance I was doing down there at the front. And I'm telling you, it's like the whole place caught on fire. And you know what they told me later? They told me that I was dancing with the, ex- the exactly identical to how Steve and Barb used to dance. And I'm just telling you, Donna told me this when she was here this weekend, there is a spirit of freedom and healing in that place that there hadn't been in two years. God used my worship to help set a congregation free from years of pain, from years of mourning. God can use your worship, even if you're in prison, God can use your worship to set a captor free, to set the prison guard free, to set his whole family free, to set the prisoners next to you free. God can use your worship to change lives, to set lives free. So here's the thing. If you've been in bondage, I want you to come up to the front. And if you want to just up your worship game, I want you to come to the front right now. Come on. Everyone should want to up their worship game. And here's the thing. Wait, keep it a little lower. Here's the thing. Up in your worship is not just standing there. This is what I've been saying this whole time. It's not just standing there waiting till you feel a feeling of freedom. It's saying, I know God's been good to me. I know he loves me. So I will intentionally lift my hands I will intentionally dance. I will intentionally sing. I will intentionally shout unto God with a voice of triumph. So here's the thing. If you want to go to that next level, if you want to get out of that prison, if you want to set the people in your life free, be intentional. As they sing, be bold. We dance. We sing. We worship you, our King. Hallelujah.